Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Hear these words as they relate to the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting from the 22nd chapter of the book of the Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the city, through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and they will be, and there will be no more night. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. For years, Dr. Doug McGuire pastored this church. He basically was here through the 60s, a couple of years in the early 70s. He went on to pastor the Broadmoor United Methodist Church in Baton Rouge, and uh, he was a district superintendent at least twice, maybe three times. Doug McGuire retired, and he decided that the thing he wanted to do most in life was to move back to Ruston, Louisiana with his wife, Mabel, and to get his private pilot's license. So at nearly 70 years old, Dr. D.L. McGuire became pilot extraordinaire. And Doug would call from time to time and say, you want to go on an airplane flight? Man, we jump in that Cessna and we just toured North Louisiana. That Cessna 172 was so speedy, one day we got passed by a kite. I looked over and McGuire was doing this out the window. I said, what are you doing, Doug? He said, I'm telling the geese, come on, come on. We get to Arcadia and he would have to circle Bob Payton's field. Oh my Lord, the man could circle a field around and around. What are you doing, Doug? I'm trying to get Bob Payton to come out to wave at him. We'd fly over chicken houses and count the chickens, never getting higher than 1,500 feet. It was glorious. Well, one day McGuire flew into the beautiful downtown Arcadia International Airport Hair Care and Tire Center to pick me up. Now, Tamara and I had code language because Tamara did not want to know I was flying with Doug McGuire because she was afraid that one day I was going to die with Doug McGuire, and she just wanted to be surprised by it. So she said, what are you doing today? I said, I'm praying all day. She knew. McGuire flew in, and there were some other people um, waiting there because General Honoré was flying in to look at some damage in North Louisiana, and they had formed the Arcadia Chamber of Commerce Welcome Task Force. 
Now, there's some members of the Arcadia Church there at the airport waiting. So McGuire taxied up and he sees this crowd there and he thinks they're there to see him. So he shuts the airplane off and gets out and proceeds to walk by and work the crowd. And I don't know if you've been around a preacher that really wants to work a crowd, but he could work a crowd like Chris Winterman. I mean, my God, he could shake hands with everybody. It got to the end, and we were about to get on the plane, and and George Cole, who was an irascible member of the Arcadia Church, I can say that now because George has gone on to glory, and I'm the beloved former pastor of that church. George Cole said to me and Doug McGuire, George would say things like this, looking at his young preacher, says, I can't believe you're going to get in an airplane with that old man. And I said to George Cole, George, It is my firm belief that the Lord God Almighty will not call two Methodist preachers named Doug to heaven at the same time. Doug McGuire didn't miss a beat. He looked at me and said, DeGraff and Reed, what makes you think you're going to heaven? Jesus Christ. That was my answer that day. It continues to be my answer. My only hope of getting into heaven is Jesus Christ. I don't know who's going to meet me at the pearly gate, but I'm going to say Jesus. And they're going to ask questions, and I'm going to say Jesus. What are you doing here? I'm going to say Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is my only hope of heaven. Ah, the church doesn't talk about heaven anymore because we've been accused of being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, so we don't want to talk about it. Besides, there's just one way to get there, and we're a little squeamish about that too, because every one of you in here, every one of you in here thinks you're the one that's not going to die. You believe it when you go into the doctor and the doctor goes, Oh, good numbers. Does all that blood work? Goes, good numbers. Here, you had such good numbers. Take all these pills so your numbers will get any better so you can live forever. Y'all, none of us get out of this alive. Now, I'm convinced some of you are going to see the year 2100. Every time I hold a kid and baptize a kid, I know that kid's going to be the one that's going to see the year 2100. And you might live, you might live to be Methuselah old, but ultimately we have to affirm the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. So this minute, moment, that whatever time of day it is, this morning, just for a little while, I want to speculate and talk and get you to think a little bit about heaven, that life everlasting part. Heaven's like going home. The cool thing about it is when I grew up and where I grew up, my mother didn't lock the door. The house was always unlocked. Went off to college, came back, the house was always unlocked. The only time that house was ever locked was when she died and my siblings locked mama's back door. Otherwise, you knew you could always get in the house. It didn't matter what time of day you came home. It didn't matter where you had been or what you had done. You could come home. The door was always open. 
door was always unlocked. Heaven's a little bit like that. It's like going home and finding the door unlocked because you've got the key. The key is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I'm back to the start. I'm going to say Jesus Christ. First of all, this place that Jesus has prepared for us has ample room. There is ample room in heaven. Have you paid attention to how we crowded Jesus out of the story? When we start winding up for Christmas, what, what, what do we all know? There's no room for Jesus in the end, is there? There's no room. Jesus goes to His hometown, Nazareth, and He preaches, and He preaches so under the power of the Holy Spirit that the townspeople grab Him up and they're going to chunk Him off the side of the cliff because there is no room. There is no room in their synagogue. There is no room in their community for a prophet who dares to talk like He does who dares to say that God's love is broad and great and God will bring healing and wholeness. There was no room for Jesus in Jerusalem. Official Judaism had closed their doors and turned their backs on Jesus. They didn't want someone representing God who loved sinners. They didn't want someone representing God who hung around with those kind of people. They wanted a Messiah who was a good Jewish boy and who would affirm the Jews in being Jews and exclude everybody else. So when Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that was radical. They didn't like that. When Jesus ate with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes, they didn't like that. So they slammed the door on him. Didn't make room for him. Even on the cross, as Jesus is dying, as Jesus feels as though God has turned his back on him, we were saying through our sin, there isn't room in our life for Jesus. We don't mean to crowd Him out. But we're busy. We have things we've got to do. We have things we want to do. And there's just no room for Jesus. That's why in the third chapter of the book of the Revelation, as John is writing about the church at Laodicea, the church that's neither hot nor cold, the church that's lukewarm, We have that image of Jesus standing at the door knocking. And Jesus is trying to get in the church. But we have correctly used this to say that Jesus is standing at the door of your life and He's knocking on your heart. Do you have room for Him? The writer of the book of the Revelation says that heaven is 
1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's 1,500 miles cubed. I don't know how big that is, but there's enough room there for us, His people. And it appears as though the writer of the book of the Revelation says that heaven is big enough for, get this, everyone. Because he says some things that that we're going to deal with when I do this Bible study in 2022 that that are they're tucked away they're there but they're radical I'll share a minute of radical with you the home of God is among mortals and he will dwell with them and they will be his peoples plural wait a minute I thought God only had one people and then what I read this morning in the text about the tree of life Its fruit is for the healing of the nations. So the writer of the book of the Revelation says the kingdom of God is more expansive. It's more, it's bigger. It includes more people than you realize. Still, the truth is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Some people have accepted Jesus that we just don't realize yet. And some people have practiced their Christian faith in a way that's a little bit different than the way we do it. Regardless, Jesus has ample room. And then, heaven is a prepared place. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was um, a kid who, without deacon approval, got creative and decided on this particular Sunday morning she was going to talk about heaven. And the way she was going to do it is she was going to take her Sunday school class outside and we were going to look up. So there we sat on the church playground looking up at the clouds. And that particular Sunday morning, there were a lot of these big old puffy cumulus clouds just sort of lazily floating by. And she picked this one cloud out. I don't know how she arranged it, but she was a Sunday school teacher and they're close to God. She picked this one sun, this cloud out and she pointed at it and it really did kind of look like an angel. And she said, boys and girls, Aren't you glad that one day you'll go to heaven and you can be like an angel, like that cloud right up there? And I was watching that cloud slowly float by, trying to ponder if it really looked like an angel. And I decided if it did, and if that's what heaven was like, having to slowly float around, I didn't want any part of it because it was too bucolic and too quiet. And surely I'm going to be more than a cloud. Well, heaven is a prepared place for you. The writer of the book of the Revelation describes it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That which represents chaos isn't there anymore. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be His peoples and God Himself will be with them. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I always stop there. God's going to wipe away our tears. The stuff that happened to us that we didn't want happening to us, the things that didn't happen to us that we longed for, all the disappointments and the likes and the, the in dislikes and the injustices, all the things that have hurt us and wounded us. God has seen our tears and God knows our hurts. And the very first thing that happens to you is you get a divine hug. And with that hug, all that went before is made whole. And then the writer continues after that, death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. What are you going to be like when you get to heaven? I don't know. You're going to be new. I don't know what that means. You're going to be new. I'm going to have new eyes. I'll be able to see without wearing glasses. I'm going to have new ears. I will be able to hear the female vocal range from 60 miles away with her standing in the closet. I will not be a sinner. That's the part I'm looking forward to. We're all going to be in heaven and none of us are going to be sinners. That's going to be so cool. We are going to be perfect and perfected. We're going to be continuing in glorifying grace that God is going to continue to make us whole and make us godlike and Christ-like. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a friendship and a conversation where you don't worry about what the agenda is? What are they really saying? What are they really talking about? What do they really want? You're going to know the fullness of Christian fellowship. It's going to be heaven. It's a place prepared for us, a place where we're made whole, a place where we're healed, a place where we're made new. You're not going to be an angel. I promise you. You're not going to float around on some cloud playing a harp. I promise you. If you want to see what heaven's like, go back and read the stories of the Garden of Eden before the fall. and You're going to find out some pretty cool things. You are, by the way, going to be you. Because when God makes you new, He knows you. And He knows your hopes and your dreams. He knows your unrealized ambitions and goals. And He's going to make you new. You're going to be complete. That's not too hard to believe, is it? The last couple of weeks working on sermons last week was a, a short week for me since Brian got sick and I threw a sermon together. I was doing a lot of research on grief and, you know, I'm 
Googled Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's, her book on death and dying, just to review some of that, and did some other reading about grief. And, and this week, working on the last two affirmations in the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the dead, and the Greek word resurrection means stand again. That's cool. You're going to stand again. And the life everlasting, and I didn't talk a lot about it, but everlasting life does not talk about the length of life. It talks about the quality of life. And I'll have to explain that when I do this Bible study in 2022. That's a commercial, by the way, which I've worked in twice in one message. So I've been looking all this stuff up and, you know, nobody is tracking what you're doing online. Nobody is paying attention to you. So I've looked up grief. I've looked up resurrection. I've looked up eternal life. This morning, before I woke Miss Tamara up, I got on the Facebook to see if your life is more interesting than my life. There's certain people I follow to see if they've said anything funny that I can actually work into a sermon. Some of you have glorious senses of humor. I just can't preach what you're saying. Okay, clear that. But right there in the right-hand corner of my Facebook feed was an advertisement for hospice care. Do you need hospice care? Do you need end-of-the-life care? And then, right under it, Kilpatrick Roseneath Funeral Home. We have pre-need insurance for you. They are watching everything you do. They know you. Said that in the early service as I was shaking hands at the end of the service, some nice, saintly, geriatric member of the nine o'clock service handed me this piece of paper preacher here's a web browser you can use that they can't track you (laughs) if i've got church members using the tor browser we're gonna have to have a lot of conversations with one another god is going to make you new god is going to heal your hurts God is going to bring justice where there is injustice. God is going to undo what sin has done. That's what heaven's like. Pastor in a Methodist church is kind of cool because if you pastor one as long as I have, you, you start repastoring people, people you pastored before. Uh, you know, the, the weird things is baptizing the grandchildren of people you married when you first started in your ministry. It's like, how did all this time go by? The first church I pastored without training wheels was the First Methodist Church of Kenner, Louisiana. As a matter of fact, That's where Tamara and I met, the First Methodist Church of Kenner, Louisiana, on Invite a Friend to Church Sunday. That's our story, and I'm sticking to it. On that first Sunday, everybody was so friendly, and they they said to me, almost to a person, Brother Doug, there's a man in our church that is dying to meet you. He just can't wait to meet you. He knows you. He knows your family. And I thought, oh, Lord, he knows the DeGraffin reads. Oh, 
His name was Spencer Garnett, and Mr. Garnett grew up and lived in Decatur, Alabama. And he lived next door to my maternal grandparents. He was just about 10 or 15 years younger than they were, but he knew them. He knew my papa when he had a little convenience store, and the convenience store was about the size of that, that drum kit there. That was a small convenience store. He, he, he knew the front porch swing and the rockers, and he knew about the magnolia trees across the street from papa's house because late at night this time of year, you got your, your mayonnaise jar that had been cleaned out that you'd made holes in the lid and you caught lightning bugs. And he knew about the thousands of lightning bugs that got under those magnolia trees. And talking to him, I got to know my grandparents because he knew them. And I was seven years old when they they died. He was an amazing man. A sweet man. He believed in Jesus. Spencer got sick, and it was the kind of sickness he wasn't going to get over. One afternoon, the hospice nurse called me because it was about the end of the journey. I went over, and Spencer and I spent a little bit of time reminiscing about Decatur, Alabama, and sometime praying. Before I left, Spencer said, you might not see me again on this side, but I want you to know two things. Jesus has finished my room, and I have finished my crown. I'm ready to go home. That's what heaven is. It's going home to a place where you're loved and to a place where you belong. It's going home to be with those who have gone on before you. And to be with this one named Jesus who gave His life on a cross because He loves you and who has brought you home because He continues to love you. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we thank You for our home in heaven. We thank You for a place where we belong, a place where we're home, a place where we're forgiven and made new. Until that time, Lord, help us to live with that goal in mind. Help us never to deviate from the road that leads us home. We pray in Your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.